Previously on Bullets and Rust. I've spent the last week working on three different cases, each one with its own challenges, its own inherent risks. In the case of Abner Forrest, what began as a simple case of blackmail has escalated to direct, violent threats. Not only is Abner in the crosshairs, but so is his trusted assistant, Riley Parker. My most likely suspect, Lucy Televerger, appears to be a bust, and Abner's nearing his breaking point. In the case of Liam O'Malley, every step forward triggers another step back. As Liam's father is a criminal prosecutor, it felt like both of the local crime families might have a motive. However, after getting shot at, beaten, and threatened, I managed to track down one final lead, George Lima Coley. Wearing a mask, I managed to interrogate him without revealing my identity, but what seemed like a coup turned out to be just another dead end. Meanwhile, the kids' parents both seem more and more suspicious with each passing day. Kendall Malone never wanted kids, and she's got a history of physical abuse and mental illness. Moreover, once Killian left their shared hotel room on the night of Liam's disappearance, she doesn't have any more of an alibi than he does. And as for her husband, Killian, well, he's an abusive asshole with a penchant for losing his cool. Killian's ruthless by reputation. However, he also seems to love his son more than anyone else involved, and it turns out that his wife's masochistic fantasies are what's to blame for the appearance that he's a wife-beater. Kindle's sister Mercy keeps insisting that he's the one who did it, but my gut tells me that it isn't him. My former partner, Blake West, he hired me to make sense of this case, but every step leads me further into a deep morass which I can't seem to find my way out of. Finally, there's the case of Justine Ghent. Her husband, Spence, was an enforcer for the Lee McCauley family. Last week, someone shot him in the back. Now, Justine's out for revenge. I've tried to talk her out of it, even as I help her hunt for the identity of Spence's killer. Now, a meeting with a former Russian mobster named Igor Petrovsky finally gave me the name. If I reveal who it is, Justine's just going to get herself killed. I can't afford to have another death on my conscience. What the hell am I going to do?
It had taken me a lot of work to get to Igor Petrovsky's door. Along the way, I'd been beaten up, shot at, and threatened by some of the most disreputable people in the city. But now, I not only knew that Igor had paid to have Spence killed, I knew who had pulled the trigger. And knowing that, I had no idea how to cool the temper of the grieving widow who had put me onto this case. Justine had every reason to want to avenge her husband's death, but that didn't make the quest any less treacherous. There's an old expression, before you go looking for revenge, first dig two graves. That felt acutely relevant once Igor told me who it was he'd paid to shoot Spence in the back. Lenny Onassis. Yeah, that's what he said. Renny Onassis, a thug who worked for the Trovalones. He was the one who'd shot out my windshield and chased me halfway across the city. Then, only two days ago, he'd stood over my shoulder while his boss threatened to kill me. Renny was well-connected, and he was as ruthless as anyone I'd ever met. Going after him alone was suicide. I could give Justine the name, or I could just kill her myself. It would all amount to the same thing. Of course, I couldn't say nothing. She'd already started agitating, and she'd pissed off some powerful people. Right now, they were giving her the chance to fade away, but that patience wouldn't last for very long. Soon, she'd just be another person forced to their knees, her hands bound, and a dirty rag stuffed in her mouth. They'd shoot her, execution style. And the police would never hold anyone to account. After all, she was a gangster's maul herself, just one less troublemaker they had to worry about. At this moment, I was the only person who could save her life. And to do that, well, there was only really, there was really only one thing I could do. The solution was as obvious as it was terrible, a classic case of high-risk, high-reward. If it worked, I would save Justine's life. If it failed, I'd probably end up killed in her place. Of course, I had the arrogance of thinking that I knew what I was doing, and there's a certain fatalism that takes hold of your life when you've been threatened as many times as I have over the last few days. But this would keep Justine safe. And if it worked out... It might end in some manner of justice. That's a rare enough thing that it's worth fighting for. I drove onto the freeway, making my way to the Racino where Michael Trevolone ran his day-to-day -day business. At an early hour like this, the only gamblers were the diehards, the lifers, the slot machine junkies who looked like they'd grown into their chair. I crossed the floor, passing several of the Trevolone people as I made my way towards the back office. Rennie was sitting at the bar. When he saw me, his eyes narrowed, and a thin smile crept along his face. He was a sadist through and through, and the thought of being able to beat me to death was probably a thrill. When I reached the door, a young woman was standing nearby. She approached me with a sour look. My name's Zeke Adams. I'm here to see Michael. Sure you are. She scoffed and started to turn away. It's important, I told her. Everyone thinks they're important. That don't make it so. I'm serious. I met with him on Monday. Tell him it concerns our private conversation. He'll know what I mean. Through a look of palpable disdain, she tapped the earpiece on the side of her head and whispered something softly. I've got a guy here asking to speak to Michael. I know. That's what I told him. They spoke on Monday. Yes, I'm sure. Because I saw him go inside. 
Just ask him, will you? Half a minute later, she turned back and scowled as she typed a code into the door's keypad. All right. She frowned as she typed the code. The door unlocked with a heavy click. After you. I stepped inside and she followed right behind me. I felt my mind surging towards the edge of panic, but I did my best to keep my composure. At this point, my best chance was to bluff my way forward. Just two days ago, Michael had threatened to kill me for pushing too far into family business. I'd assured him that I was trying to cool things down, that I just wanted to make sure that no one in the family had been involved. He had assured me that the Trovolones had nothing to do with the hit. Had he been lying, or was he ignorant of what Rennie had done in his spare time? It was possible that my life depended on that answer. I was betting all of it on the honesty of a mafia boss. There was a part of me that wondered if I'd been played the fool. Reaching the main office, the girl opened the door, and I found Michael at his desk. And right beside the entrance, Aristotle was standing with a gun in his hand. Lift your arms so Daisy can search you. I'm not hiding anything. My pistol's in my jacket pocket. Then you won't mind if she makes sure. There was no use in arguing. Don't worry. I'll be gentle. Thanks. I lifted my arms as the young woman ran her hands up and down my sides. She was clearly well-practiced, as I didn't realize she'd grabbed my pistol until she was pulling it from my pocket. Wordlessly, she stepped forward and put it on Michael's desk. Just the Walter. He admired it wordlessly. Then, he gave her a nod and she turned to face Aristotle. I'm going back on the floor. Call me if you need me. You'd better get him. Aristotle didn't use a name, but Daisy didn't need to ask who he was referring to. She nodded, giving me one last look before she walked out the door. I turned back towards Michael, who was seated in a high-backed leather chair. It had only been two days since we met. A lot had happened in that time, but Michael didn't seem happy to see me. I thought we had an understanding, Detective. We did, and you promised me that no one in your family had anything to do with the murder of Spencer Ghent. So I guess we both get to be disappointed. What the fuck are you talking about? I followed a lead. It panned out. I know who pulled the trigger. I moved my hand with a deliberate slowness into my pant pocket. Pulling out my cell phone, I opened the audio recorder app. I'd already queued it up to the proper clip before I came inside. All it took was a simple push of a button. Igor's voice emerged from the speaker. I was careful to omit my own threats and insinuations. All they needed to hear was the final minute. That was where Igor had told me the name of the man he'd hired, Rennie Onassis, one of Michael's most trusted thugs. I thought you'd want to hear that for yourself. Michael frowned. He spent a moment drumming his fingers on the desk. Then, after several seconds, he pointed out to the hallway. The gesture was followed by a phrase that made my blood run cold. The back office. The back office. That didn't sound like anywhere good. Bring Rennie. Aristotle tapped his earpiece and whispered into the transmitter at his wrist. Send him up. We're going to the back. Michael got to his feet adjusting his tie and pulling off his jacket. As I was escorted down the hallway, I noticed how he rolled up the sleeves of his shirt. Had I guessed horribly wrong? The back office turned out to be a small concrete room in the back of the building, as far from any of the patrons as you could possibly get. There wasn't much inside, 
just two metal chairs and a rolling tray cart. A wooden stool sat in the corner, and a large drain sat in the center of the floor. The door was thick, heavy, the perfect thing for dampening the sound of anything that happened inside. Michael grabbed the stool and dragged it away from the wall. He didn't sit down, choosing to stand behind it instead. Then he snapped a finger at one of the chairs. Take a seat, detective. I sat without arguing. Resistance was futile at this point anyway. I'd made my wager. Now it was time to let it play out. From across the room, Michael watched me the way a tiger watches a gazelle. The fire in his eyes was impossible to ignore. After we'd been waiting for 30 seconds, he extended his hand and made a simple demand. Give me your phone. I pulled it from my pocket and handed it over. How do I unlock it? I showed him the pattern and then where the sound file was saved. Listen, I don't need to be a party to any... Like I said to Igor, you helped get this ball rolling. You can't claim not to be involved. That was fair enough. Still, I would have preferred just to walk away at this point. The longer I stayed back here, the less likely it was that I was walking back out. There was a heavy scraping sound as Rennie stepped into the room. He walked over by Aristotle with a shit-eating grin. Then he glanced at me and flashed his teeth. However, he still knew better than to get too smart in front of his boss. As desperately as he wanted to gloat, all he could risk was a simple mocking phrase. Nice to see you again, Zeke. Take a seat, Rennie. Sure thing, boss. He slid into the other chair. Aristotle began to pace the perimeter of the room, slipping out of sight while his footfalls echoed off the concrete walls. So, uh, what's this all about, boss? Michael turned to me and said, Spencer Ghent is dead. It's in everyone's interest that this be the end of it. You just can't stick your nose into other people's business without ruffling feathers. Rennie proved that to you the other night. He was supposed to shake you off the case. I tried to. I followed him. I shot up his car. I... Did I ask you to start a firefight in the middle of the city? You told me to scare him. Away. I told you to scare him away. And yet this is the second time I've had to meet with Mr. Adams. This will be the last. At that, he glared at me angrily. You really know how to push the wrong buttons, Detective. I... Rennie, do you remember my last meeting with Mr. Adams? Rennie sneered as he nodded his head. I did warn him to stay out of our affairs, didn't I? You sure as hell did, boss. And yet, he persisted in pushing. You want I should finish what I started on Saturday? I promise I can make it up to you, boss. Let's listen to the gift the young detective brought me first. He pulled my phone from his pocket. He drew his finger rapidly across the screen, and another tap brought the sound crackling to life. Michael leaned forward and placed the phone on the wooden stool. Who did you pay to kill Spence? The recording of my voice echoed. It was Rennie. Rennie Onassis. As Igor whispered his name, Rennie's face turned white. He looked to Michael and shook his head. You can't be serious. I am. Now please, keep me out of this. It's not true, boss. You have to understand. This is bullshit. I didn't bring you into it, Igor. You're the one who paid to have another man killed. But I'm not going to sell you out. Not as long as the name's legit. I hope you're smart enough to know how stupid it would be to lie to me about this. That's the name. 
I don't know what he did to make Igor say all that, but it's bullshit. You know that I'm loyal to the family. It better be. I swear on my mother's life. Swear it on your own. That's who they'll come looking for if this is a load of goods. It was Rennie. That's who killed Mr. Ghent. I paid 15000 All in cash. When the recording was done, Michael turned off the phone and glared at Rennie. This guy's trying to fucking set me up. He's a fucking ex-cop for Christ's sake. I told you to stay away from this. I ordered everyone to leave it alone. I didn't want to start a war with the Lima Colis. Not now, not as we're trying to expand into the new territory. What new territory? This was the first I'd heard of it, but I was smart enough to stay quiet, trying to be as invisible as I possibly could. This is a fucking con, Michael. This guy is a fucking liar. A two-bit loser who couldn't make it as a cop, and he can't make it as a private dick, so now he's trying to raise hell so that nobody sees how much of a fuck-up he is. Maybe he's meddled where he doesn't belong. But then he never swore an oath of loyalty. You did. Michael, please, you're really not going to take the word of a fucking cop over me, are you? Why would I give any weight to the words of a dead man? He nodded to Aristotle. Before Rennie and I knew what happened, the whole room exploded at the sound of a single gunshot. Blood erupted from Rennie's chest. The poor bastard had only a few moments to realize what had happened. He looked down at the hole in his torso in confused terror. Then, his head slid sideways, and his body went limp. I watched, not knowing if I was going to be shot next. After all, I had meddled in what I'd been told to avoid. Michael lifted his head towards me, his voice softer but still firm. So that's settled. I assume our business is done, Detective? I, I nodded wordlessly. Good. I don't want to see you here again. You understand? Not unless you want to join Rennie. I understand. Then go, and have the good sense to keep your mouth shut. You don't have to worry about that, I told him. As I walked outside, my hands were still shaking. They'd given me back my phone and my gun on the way out the door. When I reached my car, I shoved the pistol into the glove compartment. Somehow it felt dirtier now, heavier. I drove away with one eye on the rearview mirror. I was halfway home before I realized that no one was going to follow me. As far as the Trovolones were concerned, the matter was settled. Besides, they knew where to find me. When I got off the highway, I pulled into a gas station parking lot and dialed Justine. Hello? Justy, it's, it's me. Zeke, what the hell's been going on? I've been losing my mind here. Do you have any- I know who did it, Justy. What? I know who killed Spence. For a few moments, there was dead silence. I tried to imagine how she would react, but it was hard to guess. I thought I heard a few gasping breaths, but it was hard to be certain. It took nearly a minute for her to say a word, but when her voice returned, it was as hard as iron. Who was it, Zeke? Before I tell you, you need to promise me that you're not going to hang up immediately, because there's more to this than just the name. Okay. I need you to promise me, Justy. This is on Zeke's life here. I promise. The guy who killed Spence? It was Rennie out. Rennie fucking Onassis? That cowardly piece of shit. He's a worthless piece of shit and it's fucking him? Justy, I need to- I'm gonna do more than kill him. Justy. I'm gonna have his heart cut out while Justy. I watch. I'm gonna spit in that fucker's face while the life is out of him. I'm- Justy! She finally stopped when I yelled her name. What? Rennie's dead. What the fuck are you talking about? Aristotle Rigoletti just shot him in the chest. Why the fuck would he do that? 
because I spoke to Michael a few days ago. There was a third party involved in all of this, someone who was upset about Spence muscling in on their turf. They went to the Trovalones looking to hire the hit, except Michael didn't want to start a war. He ordered the family to stay out of it. Of course he'll tell you that. Listen, this isn't secondhand bullshit. I had assurances from Michael Trovalone himself. The family wasn't involved. When I discovered that it was Rennie who pulled the trigger, I went to Michael first. I was hoping he would cut Rennie loose, then you could get revenge without the Trovalones following suit. Instead, Michael took us to his back office. He had Aristotle shoot Rennie right then and there, all because he'd gotten involved against family orders. I know you didn't get to do it yourself, but shooting Spence, that's what got Rennie killed. It's over. What followed was another long silence. For a moment, I worried that she wouldn't be sated. She said she didn't care who paid for the hit, just the guy who pulled the trigger. But emotions, revenge, they don't always follow logic. I was worried that Justine might decide that this wasn't enough. <laughs> Thank you, Zeke. Thank you. I... Uh, what the hell do you say to something like that? I wanted to comfort her, but I'd just gotten a man killed. I'd seen his heart explode inside his chest. How could I accept thanks for a thing like that? I couldn't reply, nor could I take comfort in Justine's relief. The only saving grace was that I could finally put this mess behind me. Take care of yourself, okay? I will. Stay out of trouble, will ya? Sure thing. With that, the line went dead. Unless you're a sociopath, there's nothing good about seeing someone get murdered, even if they're a sociopathic piece of shit like Rennie Onassis. But for all the hell I'd gone through, at least one of my cases was finally solved. Rennie shot Spence. For his troubles, he'd just been eliminated by his own outfit. I spent the next hour driving around town, doing my best just to get my head straight. At almost any other time in my life, I would have gone under for the next several days, but I didn't have time for that. Liam O'Malley was still missing, and my two biggest suspects were his parents, Kindle and Killian O'Malley. The last time I'd seen Killian, he'd been a drunken mess. He claimed to love his son, more than anything, and he'd let slip that his wife had never really wanted children at all. Was that the self-pitying confession of a broken man, or the clever scheme of someone trying to throw me off the scent? It still wasn't clear. Nor was Killian's multiple attempts at crafting an alibi. He'd left the room he and his wife were sharing just before his son had disappeared, and his claims of going to the hotel pool were bullshit. I don't know where Killian actually went, but I knew for damn sure where he wasn't. It was well past time I got the straight answers I was looking for. I drove downtown to the Justice Center. I passed through a metal detector and two security checkpoints before I was allowed to ride the elevator up to Killian's office. How ironic it was, there was better security at the Synthetic Corporation than the city's symbolic center of law and order. But then, that's all the Justice Center was anyway, symbolic. Far too often, I'd found precious little justice inside its thick, concrete walls. Reaching his office, I was rebuffed by a young assistant who told me, effectively, to take a hike. Listen, I don't care how busy he is. My name is Zeke Adams, and he hired me to do a job. Now go inside and tell him I'm here. The young man scowled before he disappeared into a small hallway. 
He came back a minute later and waved me to follow. I stepped through the corridor of a crowded administrative office. I slipped my hand into my coat and turned on my audio recorder. I wanted a perfect record of what was about to go down. Finally, turning a corner, I found Killian sitting behind his desk. He looked better today than he had on Sunday, though he hardly could have looked worse. There was a mix of fear and anxiety in his eyes as I stepped forward. Do you have any news? Not news. Progress. The fire in Killian's eyes faded, and he dipped his head sourly. I might have felt sorry for him, but I couldn't be certain that this was anything more than an act. And if that were the case, then Killian was as dangerous a man as I'd ever met. I can't take this much longer. Huh. Funny that you say that. Funny? What the hell is that supposed to mean? At every turn, you've lied to me, Killian. You say you're tired of this, that you can't take it any longer, but you're the one dragging this out with every lie that crosses your lips. What are you saying? What really happened the night that Liam went missing, Killian? For once, I'd like to hear the truth. At that, Killian stood to his feet. His face twisted cruelly as he glared at me from behind his desk. I already told you. Kindle and I were... I know what you told me, Killian. Kindle told me something else. But none of it lines up with the facts. I know you never went home. Not that night. You slept at the Ritz. And when Kindle took the call from her sister, you went to the pool? No. Not true, Killian. I've seen footage from the security cameras that proves it. So, where were you? It was a lie, of course. A bluff. All I really had seen was a sign at the pool's door and an assurance that it was usually locked on time. But things happen. Sometimes employees get careless. However, Killian didn't know any of that. He looked at me with a shark's eyes, and his lips pulled back to reveal a line of sharp white teeth. Is this the shit you've been wasting your time on? I hired you to find my son! Let him get upset. I kept my voice level, calm, hard and I kept pushing. Did you? Or was hiring me just part of your cover? There was a look of shock on his face. Shock and rage. But before he could do anything about it, I pressed harder. All you've done is sabotage my investigation, Killian. Every lie you've told me is another shovel full of dirt on Liam's grave. Someone took Liam, you son of a bitch. I want you to find him! Then why are you standing in my way? How can you ask me that? Because I haven't gotten a single straight answer from you, O'Malley. I've almost gotten murdered twice in the last week, all trying to bring your son back home. And what have you done? Spent the weekend day drinking on your fucking boat? Breaking this case means I need the truth. And I've never met an innocent person who was so eager to keep lying to me when someone they love's life was on the line. So let's cut the bullshit. How much time have you wasted on this shit? If you'd have just come to me, I could have talked you through all of this. I came to you. I asked you to tell me what happened. Instead, you lied. To the police, to me, to everyone. Because I can't trust the goddamn police, you moron. That's why I had you brought in. Didn't you get that? Oh, I get it. You're desperate. But what you're desperate for, that's what I'm still trying to figure out. Maybe I'm just a patsy. Maybe I'm the guy that you and the police are hoping to hang this whole debacle on. If you really gave a fuck about getting your son back, you should have been honest with me from the start. At that, Killian's nostrils flared. He ran his fingers through his hair. He was angry, 
but he was also smart. Now that I'd confronted him directly, he was weighing his options. Finally, he turned to face me. All right, well, you're fucking here now. What the hell did you want to know? Where did you go after you and Kindle made love? Made love? <laughs> you really don't know my wife very well. Yeah? Then explain it to me. This is part of why I didn't want to talk in front of the police. What I'm about to tell you, it's off the record. I'm not a reporter, Killian. For me, information is a means to an end. Kindle is an... My wife's taste for uh, passions runs a bit more extreme. That's why we're at the hotel in the first place. I can't very well hold her down and smack her about if I think the kid's about to bust in, you know? Sure, but you own a house and a condo. Couldn't you just go to one... Being someplace that isn't home excites her. I don't really get it. But I was just trying to make her happy. Most times, I'm fine with it all. I'd prefer something a bit more cheesecake, but... Something that night made me feel wrong. Not guilty, not perverse, just I needed some space. I needed to clear my head, you understand? Really? So where'd you go? Out. The reason I lied to the police was because I knew how it looked. The next two days, my wife looked like she'd been mugged. The night my son goes missing, I'm not there. It looks like crap. But I just went out. Mercy called, and I slipped out the door. I spent the next two hours walking through the streets alone. I thought it'd keep suspicion on me too much if I admitted to that. I know how that two-hour gap looks. The media would crucify me. Be Scott Peterson this and Casey Anthony that. Maybe so, but I'm not the news, Killian. And I'm not a cop. You should have told me. I thought you'd be smart enough to know that. I hoped you'd find him fast enough that it wouldn't matter. So, where did you go? Around. I don't know. The city. I just needed to think. I went down to the lobby and saw the door and it just pulled me out. I started walking and even when it rained I didn't feel like stopping. Walked for hours, probably three or four. I didn't think I'd need to have to account for the time. I wasn't planning on having an alibi. After Mercy called, it was a good excuse to get away and be by myself. Anyway, normally when they talk, they're at it for hours. When I got back, though, Kindle told me later that it only lasted a couple of minutes. She wasn't happy that I'd left, either. And what happened then? And then I went back. For Christ's sake, I didn't kill my kid. Can you get that through your skull? You're almost as bad as that cunt Mercy. The whole time, she said nothing, but I can feel the way she looks at me. She's turning my own wife against me, you know? Has been since the day we got married. Yeah, she's not exactly your biggest fan. You think? Listen, just find the fucker behind this, okay? Whatever you want to know, I'll tell you. I don't even care what hits the papers now. I don't care about my career. I don't care about this fucking trial. I just want Liam back, okay? Then fill in the gaps, Killian. You say you were gone on your walk, but what time did you get back? I don't know. I need mo I'm telling you the truth, okay? I don't know exactly what time it was. Late. Kindle was in the shower. I went right to bed. I woke up the next morning by myself. By yourself? Where was Kindle? 
out getting coffee. She wanted to mend the fences, I think. Our romantic getaway hadn't started the way we'd hoped. We had coffee and spent most of the morning sitting in bed. Just sitting? Killian flashed me a sour look. Not that it's any of your business, but yeah, just sitting. We were talking about where to go for lunch when the call came. Everything else, you already know everything else. Tell me again the truth. Our housekeeper called. Liam wasn't at the condo. We rushed back but didn't find any trace of him. I took the babysitter home and we looked around the whole damn building. When my wife's face looked better, that's when I called the police. Well, the fact that you waited so long, that doesn't look good. I don't care how it looks. Not anymore. Just, just find my boy. I'm doing everything I can. His story was lousy, terrible, but at least now it lined up with the facts. Killian looked down at his desk and fell back into his chair. When I'd come in, his lingering desperation had been held in check by an air of restrained professionalism. I'd arrived with the express purpose of breaking through his shell. Now, it wasn't clear if he was going to be able to pull himself back together. And in the middle of it all, I learned that Kindle had been gone when he woke up the next morning. It was her answering the phone that had sent Killian out of the room. But it was a call that Kindle had ended quickly, leaving hours of open time when no one could account for her whereabouts. I had a sick feeling in my gut. One that said that Liam's disappearance came at the hands of someone he loved. Now, if I could only prove it. I needed to find out what Kindle had done with her son. Even as I circled closer to the answer, there was nothing I could do. Not without proof. I arrived back at the agency shortly after noon. Sam was behind the desk, and the mess of files had totally vanished. I hesitated to say it, but the place actually looked... nice. Hey, boss. Hey. So did you meet with Igor? It took me several minutes to get Sam up to speed. When I got to the part about Rennie getting gunned down in front of me, I half expected her to walk out the door. Instead, she nodded quietly and took it all in stride. That was the first time I felt like she wasn't the sweet little kid that I thought I'd hired. Once I was done talking, I walked into my office and grabbed a bottle of scotch. I brought it out to Sam's desk with a pair of glass tumblers. It's not normally like this, I told her. Most of the time, I'm chasing down cheating spouses, roadside motels, finding evidence of someone skimming money from a company account. All of this? All at once? It feels like a cosmic joke. Exactly. It's like life decides to throw all the heavy shit on you at once. Sam grabbed the bottle and poured herself a double. People suck sometimes. Ain't that the truth? We both took a drink. After a moment of silence, Sam looked up at me. I could tell that she was wrestling with an idea of whether or not she should say anything. What is it? I asked. Far be it from me to tell you what to do, boss, but when shit like this happens to me, I like to go somewhere quiet. Something like this? Do you see people getting murdered a lot? No, I just... When things get too heavy Sorry, for... it was a bad joke. Yeah. Anyway, no, it's not really such a bad idea. Let's do it. Let's get out of this office for a minute. Go? Where? Somewhere peaceful. I mean... I don't mind going, 
But shouldn't you have someone here to answer the phone? Sam, the last thing I need is another case. Okay, so where are we going? I know just the place. Lake Erie is no shortage of beaches. Edgewater was the closest, but it's not very private. Years ago, I'd been looking for a quiet place, somewhere I could look out over the water. An old friend had offered up the perfect spot. Katie had said, Have you ever tried Rocky River Beach? I'd never heard of it. It's a little place right off of Lake Boulevard. There's a playground, but it's not usually very crowded, especially on weekdays. I'd still been a cop back then, and a lot had changed, but Rocky River Beach was still the perfect place to slip away from it all. Sam rode in the passenger seat of my car, staring silently out the window as we pulled up to the grassy hill leading down to the water. Together, we walked down onto the beach. I took off my shoes and let the sand slip between my toes. As I reached the water's edge, I let the waves lap softly up to my ankles. Sam had brought the bottle of scotch. Instead of glasses, we had a pair of styrofoam cups. She filled each one and we shared a brief toast as we looked out over the water. It was nice not to feel obligated to speak. I didn't want to be alone, but I also didn't want to feel pressured to keep up a conversation. I just didn't have the energy anymore. In that way, Sam served as the perfect companion. We spent a long time letting our minds wander as the water massaged the beach. When the urge to break the silence finally came, I found myself asking about something about as far away from my current caseload as I could possibly manage. Where did you come from? Where did you grow up? Sam was slow to answer. We moved around a lot when I was a kid. I was mostly raised by my dad. And what was that like? I never really had many friends. I was by myself a lot. You seem to have turned out all right. Thanks, but I didn't like it. I always wanted siblings. <laughs> Be careful what you wish for. Brothers are no picnic. I've heard that. Sisters, either. The grass is always greener, right? Fair enough. But looking out like this, it does make you think, doesn't it? About how different things could be. About how you'd be a different person if you made a different choice. I mean, were we destined to find ourselves here? Or is it just a bunch of random bits of chance? Huh. Who knows? Sam glanced out at the lake. So what do you see when you look out over the water? Nothing particularly deep. I keep thinking about Liam O'Malley. If he's still alive, I wonder what he's thinking about. What kind of life would he be going back to? Huh. But you'd love your parents as a kid. You might be afraid of them too, but when you're that young, you don't know anything else. It's only when you get older that you can realize the mistakes your parents made. That's true, but... Still. Sam poured herself another few fingers of scotch and took a swig. With her other hand, she wiped some of her hair from out of her face. There was one summer that I got to spend with my mom. She lived on Lake Michigan. She had a small sailboat. Yeah? Nothing nice. It barely managed to stay afloat, but she loved being on the water. That was my favorite time. I hadn't seen my mom in more than a year, so I was really happy to be with her. I wasn't old enough to be a brat, 
I hadn't learned that to be cool you had to turn cold. That wouldn't come until later. But that summer, that summer, it was just nice. You'd go out on the lake. Yeah, we'd circle around, stop at different parts of the coast. She never ventured very far east or west, though. Sometimes, a couple times, really. We actually crossed the lake up north. Oh? Yeah, you're not supposed to, of course, but it's pretty easy if you're in a small boat. You just slip across the water. We dock somewhere, go get dinner, slide back south before anyone knew what happened. <laughs> Covert excursions into the Great White North. <laughs> yeah, something like that. It felt so dangerous at the time. I don't think much would have happened if we got caught anyways. The Coast Guard would have just sent us back with a warning not to do it again. It was just a mother spending time with her daughter, but it felt like an adventure. All at once, an image snapped into focus. As I imagined Sam and her mother cruising across Lake Michigan, a dozen tiny details fell into place. Ah, oh, son of a bitch. Sam turned to look at me. Wait, what? We've got to get back to the agency, I told her. I, I, I need to check into something. Without waiting, I ran back towards the car. Sam was right behind me, huffing as we climbed up the hill. Once we were both inside, I turned the key and slammed on the gas. Just like that, we were hurtling back to the city. By the time we reached the agency, I had a pretty good idea of what had happened to Liam. Of course, I still didn't have any real evidence, just a hunch. I needed more than that before I went to the police. Even if they believed me, they'd have no jurisdiction. Not in Canada. What I really needed was a confession. I might have gone to Killian, but I was worried that he wouldn't have the nerve to confront his wife. Not right now. And if he managed to find it, well, I was worried what he might try to do to her before the police got there. No, Killian was too unpredictable. I needed someone who could be calm under pressure. Someone Kindle O'Malley would trust. Someone she'd be willing to spill her secrets to. As soon as I was back at the agency, I ran into my office and pulled out my cell phone. I dialed Mercy's number as fast as I could. Good afternoon, Zeke. Is this a social call, or do you have news? I've got a hunch. We need to talk. What kind of hunch? The kind where I might have figured out where Liam is. A hunch? That doesn't exactly raise my confidence. It's all so clear to me now, Mercy. I couldn't see it for a long time, not through the lies, not through any of the other possible suspects. But once I went down all the dead ends, well, there's really only one solution. I'm right about this, Mercy. I feel it in my gut. I know where Liam is. When you were a cop, did you rely on your gut? All the time. And how often was it wrong? Listen, Mercy, I... How sure can you really be about a hunch? Because it's the only thing that fits, Mercy. The truth was covered, buried on purpose to make me look in different directions. But I see it more clearly now, and if I'm being honest, I'd like to handle this with you, face to face. I... There was a short pause on the other end of the line. When? As soon as possible. Who else have you spoken to? You're the first person I've called. I want to get Liam back, home, alive. You can help me do that, Mercy. You're his best chance at a normal life. I understand. Listen, it's probably not a good idea to talk much more about this over the phone. Of course. 
I wasn't quite sure how she'd take it when I revealed to her that her sister was the one who'd taken Liam, that Kendall had used Killian's absence to smuggle him across the lake, out to their old family lake house, the one Mercy had told me about just a few days before. It was the one place that Killian and the police wouldn't think to look. But maybe Mercy could help me convince Kendall to confess. However, that was going to be a delicate conversation, and it needed to happen in person. How soon can you meet me? Can you meet me in a couple of hours? I looked at the clock. It was already 4.30. That's fine. I'll be waiting here. There was a sharp intake of air, and I could feel her hesitation. For any of this to work, I needed to have Mercy on board. Of course, she could call Kindle from anywhere. Did you, um, did you have somewhere in mind? I'll text you the address. Can you promise me that you'll come alone? Listen, Mercy, this is all going to work out, okay? Trust me. I'll see you soon, Mr. Adams. The moment she hung up the phone, I pulled out my file on Kindle. I began running through every important bit of information. I was madly slipping through the pages when I realized that Sam was standing in the door. Is there... can I help you with anything? Yeah, I said, waving her inside. Close the door behind you. She did as I asked, coming to my side in a hurried shuffle. She looked at Kindle's file spread across the desk. Jesus, what are you doing? I'm putting it all together. Remember how I said before that this wasn't making any sense? Sure. Well, now it does. I just... We need to assemble our case. I need this to be ready to show to the police. It's time to connect all the dots. But if you think you know who did it, why don't you just go now? Because right now, everything's circumstantial. What I need is something concrete. Something they can use to get a search warrant. Mercy might be my ticket to getting that. So who took the kid? Kendall. It has to be Kendall. She was already my chief suspect. The only one left it could possibly be. And then, back at the beach, well, you said the one thing that made it all make sense. I did? Yeah, you did. What did I- You and your mom, going up to Canada on a boat. That's how Kendall made Liam disappear. That's where he's been this whole time. I... how do I... I still don't understand. I'd have to explain this to the police soon, or at least that's what I thought. So Sam felt like good practice. I wove the tale that seemed to perfectly fit all the facts. The story behind how Liam O'Malley was made to disappear. Look, whoever took Liam, they needed two things. Motive and opportunity. Now, Kindle may not be the warmest mother in the world, but killing your own child, that's a whole new level of broken. I never saw her getting there. Not that far. But then, if she didn't kill Liam, then where did he go? A few days ago, Mercy revealed that she'd inherited a house from her parents, one right on the northern shores of Lake Erie, at most a couple hours by boat. And it turns out that Kindle keeps a room there, too. But wasn't that where she was when- Mercy told me there's a guest house away from the main building, one that's right on the water. Mercy said that she hasn't used it in ages. It's the perfect place for Kindle to hide Liam. She could have snuck back home, drugged Liam, and carried him to the boat. But it takes hours to get across the lake, boss. I thought you said that Killian was only missing for a few hours. Killian told me that when he came home he went straight to bed. Kindle could have stolen Liam and returned to the hotel. There, she waits for Killian to fall asleep. Once he's out, she sneaks out again. Then she's got all night to go to the lake house and back. Maybe she locked him in the guest house with several days worth of food and water. But maybe it took longer than she thought. Killian woke up alone the next morning. Kindle knows that he's an early riser, so just in case she picked up coffee on the way back. If he's still asleep, 
well, then it doesn't matter. But if he's awake, well, that's the perfect explanation for where she'd gone. But Leo's been gone for more than a week. But most people aren't keeping an eye on Kindle. They probably took her passport, but she doesn't need it. She's sneaking across at night. How hard would it be? Everyone's distracted looking at Killian, the mob. Holy shit, that's kind of brilliant. Isn't it? But why? She almost left him recently. They were drawing up the divorce papers. That was when Killian convinced her to come back. Mercy saw it as a sign of weakness, but maybe Kindle decided to get revenge. Maybe she set up this whole thing to make it look like he beat the shit out of her, then killed his own son. She knew how much he cared about Liam, so wouldn't taking him away be the perfect revenge? <laughs> it almost seems too obvious now, except that Killian didn't go to the police. He tried to play it cool. She never counted on that. But she was smart enough, smart enough to keep her mouth shut, to let Killian's reputation do all the work for her. His big case loomed over all of this like a ticking clock, one that made some sort of exposure inevitable. All she had to do was keep her head down. No one would suspect her. But you did. Yeah, but only because I ran out of other people. And if I was a cop, well, there are plenty of things that I've been able to do, ways I've gotten answers that the police couldn't, things that helped me rule out other major suspects. Shit. So, how do you go about proving that? Either I need to go to Canada and find Liam, or I need Kindle to confess. Either way, all roads lead through Kindle's sister, Mercy. Why not use Killian? Because he really does love his son, and he really does beat his wife. And as much as I want to see Kindle pay for all of this, I don't want to accidentally get her killed. If I use Killian, I'm worried that's a very real possibility. No. No, Mercy's the better play. You're going to get her to wear a wire? No, a cell phone. I have an app installed that'll record their conversation. If that doesn't work, we head to the lake house. And if that's not it, what if you're wrong? I'm not. This has to be how it was done. It's the only solution that makes sense. So we need to present all the information from your interviews. Exactly. Interviews. The divorce papers. The, the, The fact that Kindle's an experienced sailor and doesn't have an alibi. We need to be able to explain everything if we're going to get a warrant. And we need to do all of that before Kindle's in the wind. You think she knows? Every second makes it more likely. At some point, she has to be planning to skip town. She knows she can't keep Liam in that lake house forever. So maybe she has plans to take him overseas, or maybe she has something else in mind. Whatever it is, I need to be able to head her off. If she catches wind of what's going on, well, an animal is most dangerous when it's cornered, isn't it? So let's just hope it doesn't come to that. Mercy finally texted me the address at half past eight. I was starting to get anxious, but the text came as a wave of relief. However, when I actually looked at it, I could hardly believe it. The building was an abandoned warehouse, one down by the river. I felt uneasy going there alone, but there was little I could do. I needed Mercy if I was going to have any chance of getting Liam home alive. I drove down Carter Avenue, down past dozens of empty brick corpses, casualties of half a century of urban decline. Eventually, I reached a point where it met Scranton Road, just as the last bit of sunlight was giving way to night. There's yuppie condos built up the hill to my right, but Mercy and I should have plenty of privacy down here. Over my shoulder, the lights from downtown shine like candles on the river. I step inside. I couldn't imagine why Mercy wanted to meet here. 
Had I spooked her? Had she known that Kindle was involved? But there was another possibility, one I was too ignorant to see, one that became painfully obvious a few moments later. Mercy, I called. I'm up here. She was upstairs. The only way up was a narrow stairwell. I rushed to climb it two steps at a time. However, all I found at the top was an empty room. Where the hell was she? I didn't hear the footsteps behind me until it was too late. Turning, I saw Mercy emerge from a narrow alcove. The shadow slipped off her like a veil being drawn off her face. She had a single tear in her eye and a gun in her hand. Before I could say a word, she pulled the trigger. And this, I think, is where we began. Bullets and Rust is written, recorded, and edited by Abraham Dunn. The theme music is written and performed by Avril McAnally. The cast for this episode was... Charles as Aristotle Rigoletti. Daniel Dean as District Attorney Killian O'Malley. Billy Halal as Igor Petrovsky. John Hawkins as Michael Trovolone. Caitlin Hawkins as Justine Gent. Allison Lightbody as Mercy Malone. Libby Monroe as Daisy. Bridget Papagenitis as Samantha Larkin. It should go without saying, but this series is entirely fictional, as are its characters. Any claims of resemblance to actual people says more about the person making them than it does about this show. This has been a Needle Drop production. On the final episode of Bullets and Rust. So, this is where it all began. Me with a bullet in my gut, realizing I'm about to, realizing I'm about to get killed. Mercy is the one who shot me. But why? Is she protecting her sister? Or is there more to this mystery to unravel? All I know is that I'm at her mercy, and I have no idea how I'm possibly going to survive. The answers are waiting in the final episode of Bullets and Rust. <laughs>